The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you all for listening to episode one. I had a great time sitting down with my good friend Carter McLean to reminisce about our first snare drums, uh, pick his brain about how he gets such a great sound on the instrument. And then he also had some excellent suggestions for how to turn this janky old gig percussion steel drum into something serviceable, if not downright awesome. So we will demonstrate his ideas um, at the end of the episode. First, I want to make sure to thank Ian Maciak for the new intro music. Follow him at Ian Hits Drums on Instagram. This week's episode, I'm sitting down with another good friend of mine, Mike Johnston, my former co-host um, of another podcast. We did 250 hours of podcasting together before we uh, paused on that. He has a new show called Drum with Mike and Eddie. Definitely subscribe to that if you don't already. And he's also the owner of Mike'sLessons.com. If you haven't been to that website, check it out. It is the cutting-edge online educational website for drums. He's always up in the game with implementing new ideas and new angles and new ways to teach in the platform of uh, online education, which up until this past year, many of us never thought was possible. So he was tailor-made for a year of having to teach exclusively online but he still had to pivot his business a bit. And then we get to the good stuff. We talk about snare drums. So without further ado, let's get to my chat with my good friend, Mike Johnston. One, two, three, four. Eighth note off. 100% flawless on my end. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Johnston, welcome to the new podcast. How are you doing today? Buddy, it is so good to be back on a podcast with you. Uh, just like old times, the first half hour of the podcast is you and I talking about everything else. So it was fun, yep. man. And equally, the first 10 minutes were where you at. I thought you said tomorrow. No, that was for something so else. Us. Oh, God, let me run and get my in-ears and start this thing. That was just so like us. we left off. I'm literally just hanging out like, where are you at, dude? And you're like, uh, where, why, where should I be? I'm like, what? <laughs> and then and then I read our text with thinking what you must have been thinking. And then I was like, oh, my gosh. This whole time, he was thinking a totally different thing. So that is Mike and Mike yeah. in a nutshell. Unexpe- I mean, totally true to form. Mike changes schedules on me last minute. Such a liar. Then- so I even <laughs> went back and I'm like, no, like I, wait, did they not observe daylight savings in New York? No, this is happening. Oh, My bad. Uh, we, we, we got it all worked out. We're here. <sighs> Let's talk. Yes. So welcome to the new show. Hopefully some of our listeners don't know you um, and we can kind of... <laughs> Get you some new followers. So Mike Johnston, um, I would say the the premier online educator, world-class drummer, changed the game dozens of times over at this point on what you can do teaching drums through what most of us in the old school world thought was impossible, which was using YouTube and social media and live streaming, which was no one was able to do that when you first started that. I recall... I want to say about eight years ago, you said your future was in holograms. So where are we at? Where are we at with the hologram? <laughs> you know what? The hologram hasn't quite got to where I thought it would get to. <laughs> I definitely, I mean, all jokes aside, had to keep my eye or have to keep my eye on everything that comes out as far as tech and see how does that relate 
to the drum set. You know, when VR and especially AR was coming out, I had to think, okay, would you want to learn from me with goggles on and then my kind of arms are coming out of your body and you have to mimic mm-hmm. it? And I was just thinking, I just don't see this as, yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> uh, I would definitely have to like go long sleeve because I don't want people seeing like my arm hair and stuff, just awkward. Um, <laughs> we're a decent watch, but not too nice of a watch. And it's like, it's too much yeah, to think about. Dress up like Santa. Yes, we could have the Christmas edition. But no, I thought about that a lot. And, you know, I'm very lucky when we look back on the timeline, I'm very lucky that I have my largest port- portion of my history is in private drum instruction uh, so that I'm always mm-hmm. comparing it to, is this as good as being in a room with somebody? And so far, nothing has come close to that. But the reason I started doing online stuff mm-hmm. is because not everyone can be in a room with me or could be at the time. And so that's, so when I thought about AR and VR, I was like, nah, this isn't, I don't see this as being beneficial. I would say the only thing that has kind of piqued my interest so far has been the fitness world's use of mirror. and. I could see a practice pad world oh, where yeah, we sit right. in front of a mirror with the teacher and we're mimic that, mimicking them in a life-size way. Um, I know so many people really yeah. got a lot more out of my lessons when they started putting them on like a 50-inch TV in front of their kit or in front of their practice kit. And it got bigger and they could really see what was happening. So if mirror could do that, the only problem is our cost of entry, You know, the barrier of entry for our drum industry is not a massive industry and it to develop tech for that, the, I don't know that there would ever be the proper return. It would be a great Instagram video to be like, and check out how cool Mike's lessons.com tech is. But as far <laughs> as like, and that got us four students. So I'm out a hundred K, you yeah, know, like yeah. I, so, but that is the first thing tech wise I've seen recently where I thought that's cool. If everyone in the world had one of those mirrors because of the fitness world, then I could see myself de- developing content for that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's something that most of us don't think about when we think about new technology is what is the cost of investment and then what, how quickly will you make it back? And especially in our industry, it's teeny tiny, even though it feels big. I mean, a hundred thousand dollar investment is impossible, I think. Right. In our and, and a hundred thousand dollar investment in tech would be a joke. That would be like, well, yeah, you can come to our company dinner. For that, yeah, you, you know, can develop an app or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, but as far as that, I, I think that the one thing that's happened and it's been really, really amazing for all of us has been that everything has become so much more accessible, and the the content can like I used to have nice cameras, but nobody had the internet to stream the nice cameras or to watch the content. So now Mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of like what you and I grew up with, with DCI videos and with Hudson videos and that kind of stuff on our DVD players. But now we get to do it on our computers. So I think that's great. And I think the other thing that's great is the accessibility of people who have favorite drummers now can study with those favorite drummers a lot of times, especially, I mean, covid has taught a lot of people how to stream themselves yeah. now. And a lot of people understand the tech so much better. They're not as scared. The other thing is we yeah. had this barrier where parents never wanted their kids to learn an instrument through the computer. Well, during COVID, those same parents had to do all of their learning and take all of their cooking lessons or whatever yeah. it was on the computer. And now that same kid can say, mom, it's just like your cooking lessons. And the mom actually gets it. And so we've had so many people that 
their parents wouldn't let them sign up in the years past. And now their parents are totally on board with it. So that's been really great. And I mean, even from mine and your podcast, you had a lot of fans and those fans can now study with you at your home and in your studio because of the tech we have available. So I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, just thinking from the beginning of, of COVID when the people were just discovering what Zoom was yeah, to where we're at now, it's insane. Like I did a whole year of college teaching all online. And in that year, I mean, I think private lessons is still, it's tough to do that way um, because not everyone has like proper sound and I can't really judge how someone sounds over a laptop. But the benefit was we were able to, this is UArts in Philadelphia, we were able to bring in Stanton Moore, David Garibaldi, Dennis Chambers, Jonathan Blake. Um, I mean, every week we had like a world-class guest artist. And I was thinking when I was an undergrad, if we had one drum clinic a year, right. it was like the greatest thing ever. And that would be from someone who might have toured with someone somewhere, like nothing super special. Yeah. So, yeah, these – I mean, it's been a tough year. I've had, it's been really tough. But at the same time, I'm like, you got to ask Dennis Chambers a question. Well, and he answered it. <laughs> and the other thing is you didn't have to send – you know, the geek squad to Dennis's house to set it up because now yep. you can assume that whoever you reach out to, they know how to handle themselves in a Zoom meeting. They've done enough of these or whatever platform it is, but they've done enough yep. web meetings that you can generally assume like I'm sure they they get it and they know where to put the mm-hmm. microphone and all of that stuff. So I think that that's just been a massive benefit. And then we also have, uh, you know, the other side benefit to this is there's probably a lot of touring drummers and touring musicians that had never taken a break before. And it was just this endless cycle. And now they get to decide, well, you found out maybe you could make a living at home. Do, do you want to go back to the old life you had? Um, And I think that there's, it kind of separated everybody into their truest form of like, okay, now if you get to choose all over again, do you have the life you want? And I think that that's always a good thing. So that's a good question. As tragic as COVID was, it was a beautiful reset for a lot of society. My life for sure is going to change moving forward as far as what makes me happy. I get to make the choices now. And I got to be honest, like I thought always being in a different country, taking a different picture for Instagram of me in front of some drum festival crowd, I thought that was the life. Then I realized that was 45 minutes out of three days of chaotic travel mm. that was just adding to my depression and my confusion about my own career. Not to mention mm-hmm. all that travel, you're just going like, oh God, oh God. As soon as I land, they're going to make me play. And I got it, you know, and it's like, well, this doesn't make me that happy. Like I'm not that like bullfighter that's like, as soon as this plane lands, I'm going to dominate, you know, Barcelona. And it's like, okay, I'm not that guy. I'm more like, oh man, I wish there was only 10 people coming so we could have like a really intimate clinic setting. So I think now it's kind of like my website is my passion. Teaching on my website is my passion, helping those people that don't have access to a great private instructor. I was just talking to one of our friends, Mike certainly about, he was like, what Mm -hmm. do I do with lessons and all this stuff? And I was like, wait a minute, you said Dorico Watson lives in your town? Dog, there's nothing to talk about. Don't even look at my website. <laughs> yeah. Go take drum lessons from Dorico Watson. Like, I own Mike'sLessons.com, and I would be the one taking lessons with Dorico if I had the choice of the two. Like, yeah. There, yeah. there's nothing that replaces that. And so, but not everybody has that option. Um, 
you know? So I think that we've all been given the opportunity to find what we want to do with our lives moving forward, and I think that's a good thing. So you've been, I mean, this past year for your business model has probably been valuable because you could really just focus on it. But what happens now? Because everything's starting to open up. Are you already planning for the return to normalcy? Yes. Are you getting offered to travel? I mean, what is going on? Yeah, so I kind of had to stay constantly about three to five months ahead of or predict the news cycle because of the way that it affects our industry. So as soon as quarantine happened, to me, that was like, okay, everyone, whether it be manufacturers or for me, online creators, this is your time. This is going to be the flood. Everyone's going to think like, oh, it's all mm-hmm. going to crash. And it's like, well, it's not going to crash for us. It's going to be flooded. So get ready for it mm-hmm. and make sure that, so for what we did, as far as Amber and you know, my wife runs the business with me, we just turned everything attention-wise into mental health. These people are going to be stuck at home. They're going to be bored out of their mm-hmm. minds. Let's go. We have the ability to live stream 24 hours a day if we want at our studio. Let's live stream like crazy and give them constant new things to think about and fun games and ways to interact with each other so that they have a sense of community while this whole thing's happening. So that was during quarantine. Then mm-hmm. as we came out of that, it was like, okay, now we're going to experience a little bit of a weird dip because – they're free to do some stuff, but they can't express themselves artistically and they definitely can't gig. So now the industry is going to get hit with, well, nobody mm-hmm. needs to buy new gear because they're not especially renewables, you know, drum heads, drum sticks. Nobody's going through that stuff. And yeah. now we are going to hit. Cases way down. Cases yeah. are way down. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know. Sorry, our delay. The old freaking digital delay. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, and Just you know the other thing. You, you the other flow. <laughs> no, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> this train shan't stop. <laughs> but but the other thing that I found to be. I'll leave my 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 commentary. Oh my god, I did it again. Go, Mike. Go talk. In three, two. <laughs> so no, the other thing that I had to deal with was. Okay, now we're going to have this weird depression set in with the weekend warrior drummers that don't know, like, why practice? The only reason I practiced is because of my Sunday gig at church or because I had an every two-week blues jam with some buddies. I'm not allowed to do that, even though I can go out and shop. Why practice? And so that became the thing is, okay, I have to, mm. I have to motivate people to practice through homework assignments and through constant homework assignments. So anyways, now that we've moved into... We're starting to get into the normal world. We have rescheduled all of our drum camps. So those will be happening at the end of this year. The travel offers are coming through, but now I'm being very careful to think, would that trip, the entire trip, would that benefit me? Or should I just stay home where I'm truly happy? And I've, uh, you know, I've built a place that I want to be in all the time. I have a tea room here. I'm really happy making tea and filming drum Mm. content. Mm. So when somebody says... Uh, Like a good example is in August, I'm going to uh, Huntsville, Alabama. That offer doesn't sound like enough to pull me out of my place. But to do it with Will Kennedy, J.D. Blair, Marcus Pope, Mm. to know that we're going to have a a fish fry out in the parking lot and to know that we're going to have just like a full Mm -hmm. family celebration. It's like, yeah, I'm good. Count me in. I want to do that. I'll come back a better person. And so I think that's kind of where I'm at now with traveling. Like if I feel like I can come back as a better person and it'll be a true refresh for my drumming soul, I'm all in. 
if I'm going to come back telling Amber, I never yeah. want to travel again, then I'm out. That literally happens every time I travel. It's like, cool, I love going places and doing stuff. And then on the way home, I'm like, this never again. Why am I doing this? <laughs> so true, man. <laughs> so true. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, the other thing, though, is I started <laughs> – what an idiot. I started doing vlogs <laughs> – as soon as the entire world shut down and everyone is like, hey, when are you going to do your next hunt for a vintage drum? And I'm like, well, where do you want me to go? I live in Sacramento. I went to the three <laughs> shops I can drive to. The nearest shop after that is eight hours away. But I used to always be on clinic oh, tours where yeah. I could have been doing those vlogs all the time. So I'm excited for that because I enjoy that thing of like, I, I was so surprised how much the YouTube community wanted to hear about snare drums. Because I, I apologized for the first few ones. Like, I'm sorry, this yeah. is 12 minutes long. And they were like, why did you cut Dana Bentley off? I could have <laughs> listened to him talk for another 40 minutes. I'm like, really? I have 40 minutes of footage. I just didn't think anybody wanted to see it. So now that I know that you know drum nerds like oh, us yeah. do want to see that stuff, I just can't wait to start traveling and doing clinic tours and showing off these amazing shops around the world. Well, that's what this podcast is here for. All gear, all the time. That's the that's the only function. So let's talk gear. I love it. And specifically, let's talk snare drums. Hey! So, <laughs> you're a professional broadcaster, I have to say. That that transition was seamless, and I just exposed it like the Wizard of Oz. Like, hey, you hear what Mike just did? He perfectly uh, took us to the next topic, and I'm going to stop and acknowledge the fact that you took us... <laughs> Perfectly to the next topic. Thank you, sir. So what was your first snare drum, Mike Johnston? <laughs> first snare drum would have been kind of like an overseas stock snare, um, that steel drum that would have come with a entry-level kit. One of these. That One would have these. been my first snare drum. With the bean, like... With the three beads. And you, me, and Carter. Yep. Yes. 100%. That would have been it. And, Wild. Uh, I, would, I will say this, internal muffle. With it? Yeah. I did not have one. No, it did. It had like the white circle mm. felt internal muffle. And I mean, as yep. a kid, you just keep turning it until it p- pushes the head like half an inch up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In like one spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like a volcano. Yeah. Because you don't know how to tune. So you're like, so, well, this is the, the fix the tuning knob. <laughs> it's the sound better knob. Yeah. So mine didn't have one. And I was I was so upset. I got some cymbal felts. Like just from my ride symbol and and electrical taped them onto the heads. I thought that's what I had to have. I had to have some sort of felt circle. It had to be a circle and it had to be felt and it had to be pushing hard against the head. I'm with you, man. Like I mean, that was such a big deal to me with that drum. I mean, I was five years old, so obviously quality you're not even aware that that better drums exist. It's like, well, I have a drum and mm-hmm. I have one and I'm this is this must be the same one that Phil Collins uses because we both have a drum. And so I never thought right. of it other than it's a drum. I didn't know that the heads mattered whatsoever. I thought that you play it until it breaks. And I had that drum probably for three years as my main snare. And I was lucky enough, and I would assume you, Carter, and I all had the same experience, but I was lucky enough to have school music at the time. So I was playing like a Ludwig Superphonic at school and then I'd come home and my snare drum didn't sound the mm-hmm. same. I didn't know it didn't sound as good. I just knew it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. So I was always chasing my concert percussion snare drum. Uh huh. Yeah. For yeah, it was the Acrolyte for me. So okay. I had. So when when I you know bring up this topic to ask everyone, I was like, what was my first snare? Of course, it was an Acrolyte. But no, the Acrolyte was my third snare. It mm-hmm. was just my first like real quote unquote snare. Totally. 
because I had the steel thing, which was my drum set snare. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And I would never put the Acrolyte on the drum set. They, those two shall never part, you know, <laughs> yeah. that was a line to do not cross. Acrolyte <laughs> is for concert band only. 100%. Because it, it came with a snare stand that didn't work on a drum set. So, right. you know, it's like, well, and it came with its own <laughs> case that I was going to take to school. So clearly it's for that. You know, it's it's funny. My second kit came with the equivalent snare drum because it was another overseas cheap $500 drum set, but it came with a wood snare. So now I have an entry-level steel snare because mm. I had my first kit and my second kit, which I got when I was like seven, had a wine red wrap wood snare. And that was a really great oh, lesson yeah. in just like, hmm, these don't sound at all the same. Yeah. Or good. <laughs> <laughs> they both sounded like buttered ass, but whatever. All good. <laughs> Do you remember what happened to them? Yeah. I Like, where are they now? Yeah, I definitely sold them um, to, back to the store that I got them from. So they, they had a trade-in thing. Actually, my very first uh, kit, okay. I don't know if you guys ever had this on the East Coast, but my first kit was a rental. Like, we rented it for $15 a month from the music shop. Um, yeah, we rented snare drums and bell sets okay. just for school, which is why I got lucky and got like one of those, which I didn't know at the time, kind of rare orange peel acrylites. Oh, really? Because my Yeah, my parents just rented it. And we, I remember everybody had an acrylite in school, and mine was the only one that had like a textured finish. And I'm not going to lie, it sounded better than all the other ones. Really? We always used my acrylite for concerts. Wow. So I, you know, I here's my dumbness. In high school, I used that thing as like a timbale, so I took the bottom head off and everything. Totally. And cranked the batter head so high that one of the lugs broke. <laughs> and I was so stupid. I was like, well, that's trash. So I just threw it away. Oh, I was just going to ask if you still had it. No. <laughs> I threw oh. the thing in the – my dad was like, you really want to throw this away? I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to use that. Just, just throw it away. So I don't know when it was. 10 years ago, whatever, I just went on the prowl and I found like the exact same drum and pretend that it's my original drum, right. but it's not. That's awesome, yeah, man. Straight in the garbage. Straight yeah, in the garbage. I think we, re- we, we sold both of mine back to the store as for credit so that I could get, I, th- I don't know, I guess we must have sold them for cash because my first real kit that had a brand name was a Sonar Force 1000. Um, so I was still pretty, you know, like like 12 or 13 years old, but that was my first kit that had a brand name. And I was like, no, I've seen this in a magazine because my first one was a jugs yeah. and my second one was a West. <laughs> I had jugs percussion and West percussion. They didn't show up in, in the magazines very often. This snare drum is uh this snare drum is gig percussion. <laughs> Damn right. It is made in Japan <laughs> gig with a script font. Because you, because you got to take that to the gig, man. So yeah, I mean that's what I had was those those same kind of overseas knockoffs. And then when I got a uh, Force One Thousand, it came with a matching snare drum. But my very very first ever like snare drum that was a real, I went and bought it away from the thing because you and I have talked about in the past that to me, if your if your snare drum came with your drum set, then you have a drum set. If you bought your snare drum separately, you have a drum kit. That's the first entry into drum kit. So the first snare I ever bought for my drum kit was a 12 by 5.5 Mapex Black Panther uh, Black Brass. Wow. What? I can't even guess what year that would have been. 
the word like that would be your 94 <laughs> yeah 94 i mean i was okay. a senior in high school so it had to have been 93 94 and it was me chris okay. robine from far abe cunningham from deftones and a few other like local cats that we all had 12 by five well no i lied we had 12 by five and a half ascend by lp snare drums so lp was making, oh yeah yeah oh yeah um, so when Mapex wow. came out so, with the Black Panther line, that was like, oh, they have one with a working throw off. This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I did it with Piccolo's because I had the, my buddy Mark had the three by 13 pearl, pearl maple. Oh, the maple. That, you know. Yeah. So he was like, I don't want to use this anymore. I'm like, well, give it to me. And it became my left side snare drum for all my 311. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Cover Dude, I did. I know know we got to get back on snare topic, but talking about left side, (laughs) I had, maybe you know, but it was the single-headed thing that that, uh, Stephen Perkins used from Porno for Pyros. Off of the hi hat. Oh yes, that's what I had. Is that like a little steel timbale thing? No, it was. It was like <clears throat> I don't even know how, but it was a tunable head. There was no shell. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking right. about, right? Um, yeah. And I think like oh, for pyros, yeah, because he did that. You had to have that to play pets. Exactly to play <laughs> pets. Yep. <laughs> oh my god, we're showing our age. Ah. But yeah, that was my thing, and I and I loved it. And I think it was like maybe a ten or an eight. Um, and mm. you just mount it, and it had zero weight to it, so you just mounted it off the side of your of your hi hats. Um, so yeah, I mean, between that and then my <laughs> then my cranked Timbali twelve, I was good to go. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. So when did uh, when did you become aware that it was important to keep your snare drums? Like, what is the mm. oldest drum that you have, or when when did you start caring about snare drums? That's a good question. It, I got to say there, I went so deep into my career, like all the way into touring and everything while only thinking that the more expensive it was, the better it was. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, this shouldn't matter at all, but I definitely remember telling people like, well, that one's, that's $800. My snare is, you know, and it's like, okay, well, it sounds like trash Mm. where now you and I both know (laughs) it's like, oh, cool. Nice gold hardware. Can I grab that Acrolyte please for 150? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I think that for a long time, I mean, it wasn't probably until I stopped touring that I started thinking of my collection as, like, um, my collection of drums in general as personal. Actually, God, it's even later than that, because I remember Benny Greb telling me when he came here 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, so very recently in, in terms of my career, saying, like, you have really nice equipment, but I don't know what your sound is. And I was like, mm. well, my sound is that really nice equipment. And he's like, I don't think you picked any of this for any reason, like any sonic reason. And, you know, I'm more than willing to say he was 100% right. I mean, then I started going back and mm. all the things you and I talk about, like 
oh, wow, yeah, I guess Matt Chamberlain doesn't use the same setup that Will Calhoun did. And there's a reason why Mike Borden's snare mm-hmm. sounds like that. So for me, I have lots of old snares, but the oldest snare I own would be the DW uh, Flame Maple with the black stripes on it from my DW days. That's the oldest snare I have that's oh, yeah. my personal drum. Yeah. And so that'd be 12, 13 years old. I got to play that drum. Yeah. <laughs> play that whole kit. So what? what is... What is your ideal, like when you hear a snare drum in your head, what is your reference point? And then the follow-up, what do you do when you sit down at a foreign snare drum for the first time to get it close to your happy place? Ideal, um, like full-blown snare hit would probably be the first snare drum hit in I Hung My Head by Sting, Vinny. Oh, yeah. Um, so Reverb. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, that's like my... <laughs> full rim shot, wind up arm. I want one snare sample. Like it's just a gunshot. I mean, you know, um, Mm -hmm. so actually just that, that, and, um, you know, 10 summoners tail and soul cages. That was kind of always my snare sound in my head, but that's Mm -hmm. changed so much in the last few years because I just started playing so much quieter and it's really funny what happens to an instrument when you play it quietly, how much more the subtleties matter. Um, when people come mm-hmm. to me and I see that they hit like Abe like or, or Mike Borden and they say like, oh, I'm thinking about maybe this or maybe I'm like, honestly, it won't matter. You hit it so hard. It's going to go Ka! like it's going to sound like a yeah. gunshot. It does matter. Um, <laughs> so get whatever color you want. <laughs> That's like all that matters. Um, yeah, right, right. You know, because <laughs> I remember my DW Edge snare drum not sounding good until I hit the hell out of it, and then it sounded amazing. When you start bringing that intensity down uh-huh. and getting those ghost notes into play and the buzz strokes, and to get that buzz stroke, you're going to have to have a slightly tighter tuning. Um, all of a sudden, those nuances really mattered. And then I could tell the difference between an acrylite and a superphonic. A superphonic and maybe like a 14 by six and a half steel drum. And all of a sudden they really started to matter to me. So I would say Mm -hmm. now I look for sensitivity. Um, I look for like a, a pure overtone. And I don't think that's just tuning because I have enough drums that are perfectly tuned with the tune bot that some of them are just kind of the way my ears perceive it. It's like, that's just an annoying overtone. But the thing is people would say, well then just use Mm. Some muffling. It's like, no, I want overtone. I just don't want that overtone. I don't want the drum to be right, dead. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think it really, and then I definitely think the depth has a lot to do with it. Um, I gravitate towards a 14 by five and a half, five and a half by 14. Um, and uh, it, it, I think that uh, it's funny because my signature drum is a wood drum, but I gravitate sound wise towards metal drums. Interesting. Because because of that overtone? Because I think wood shells tend to have like a pure pitch that I end up chasing. If I put a microphone on, I'm like, why is there a note? You can even see it like a spike going straight up. I think that's why I ended up choosing a wood drum in the end. But the sensitivity and the snappiness of a metal drum was what I was chasing. And so that's when we started, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know enough about our industry to know. Like trying to get Gretsch to change bearing edges – 
that was not a fun yeah. phone call. They were not having it. <laughs> and, and like, to, who do you think you are? <laughs> totally, totally. They're like, have you seen our roster in the past 100 years? You child. I was like, yes, but you're not really known for your snare drums. Um, so <laughs> you're known for kicking toms. Uh, let's be real. Your snare drums sound like boxes. All right. All right. Let's get it I just want to say it. Um, so yeah, so I think that trying to find a blend between that snappiness of, uh, of, of the 1920s Ludwig snare, you know, I love that thing. Um, but mine, I, mm-hmm. I only have one and mine's a, uh, 14 by four. So it's very, sh- fairly shallow. It doesn't quite have enough body for me. And, and in general, and I mean, it's also a, uh, a hundred year old drum, but just, I like that snappiness a lot. And I have a lot of metal drums from ANF, um, from Danette. So I have some nice metal snare drums, but then there's just something like you said about the cross stick, the, just the rim shot, mm. the purity of a good maple or wood drum in general. I don't, I don't want to say maple, but a good wood drum. You know, when, when you and I mm-hmm. were doing our last podcast, we both got to try out that, um, Bucks County Oak drum. And yeah. that was, really eye-opening to me because i had this it was almost like every time someone had oak near me they tuned it so low that it made me think that that's what oak did but when i tuned this box county oak to the way that i tune i was like dude this sounds snappy this is pure it's it's a gorgeous drum and yeah you know and i was like i'm not sending dies down quick yeah (laughs) so um the follow the follow up to that, which also leads into the last question. Hmm. If I gave you this crappy, I mean like quote unquote crappy, rusty, dingy, all original, has shoestrings on the strainer, hmm. steel five by fourteen gig percussion snare, what would you do first okay. to it? <laughs> it's all in functional, you know, condition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So first off, listeners, I would not throw gross grain ribbon on the, the <laughs> snare wires. Leave it as is. It's fine. <laughs> Just kidding. He's um, got those terrible, terrible strings. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely would go. First thing I would do, to be totally honest, is I would see how funky I could make it on purpose. Like I would actually maximize how bad it sounds to, to yeah. switch it in my head to funky and I know you'll get this reference, but I would be chasing um, Super Bonbon by... Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Soul Coughing. Soul Coughing. I'd be chasing those tones. Like, well, then this is just going to be my janky snare that once we squash it and compress the hell out of it and, you know, put a room mic on it, it's going to be pretty awesome. But as far as actually upgrading that drum, uh, my first step would probably be an internal muffle. I can see it has the holes for it. So oh, it does. Yep. Yes. So I would throw an internal muffle on it because that's just going to take out any of those crazy cheap steel overtones. And then I would swap. I'd probably try to kill the natural overtones a little bit more with a set of die cast hoops. Mm, okay. Now I'm not fully aware if that actually does that or if it enhances <laughs> the crappy overtones, but I, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is a future episode, my friend. Mm. That's what we're doing on this show. We're going full on. Is that a doll? Hell yeah. And I hear snare drums vibrating. (laughs) (laughs) 
not, I'm not saying it's the best podcast setup. It just looks good. Juno. Hey, <laughs> just a dog. Juno, you want some tea? Come here. Come here. Goodness. Oh, Nothing's Juno. changed, buddy. Where have you been? <laughs> right there. You've been right there. <laughs> I'll just wait. You good? No. You good? I think we're good. Okay. That was a protective bark. Yeah. That was a get out of my house she, bark. She saw somebody put their, they did one of these on the window uh, to look at the snare Ooh. drums. <sighs> and she's not worried about them stealing them. She's just like, now dad has to wipe that whole thing down with Windex. And <laughs> she, she's got my back. Come here, kiddo. You good? She knows. Love you, sweetheart. All right. Moving on to our last question. Yeah. So that was, no, I mean, that's, kind of, well, the last question was, that was it. Okay. Really. I mean, if I gave you this drum and you had to perform on it, what would you do to it? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, without I'm not changing anything. You can tune it or whatever, but as, yeah, I mean, I think I would honestly, cause I've been in those situations. I mean, we've all sat in on a house kit where it was, I mean, what are you going to do? Like talk smack about the person's drum set. They have the exact same thing that yeah. you grew up with. So maybe that's where they're at in their journey, or maybe they're smart enough to bring that entry level kit to the gig where everyone's sitting in for you yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. i'm like oh cool shimitar hi-hats i haven't played these in a while um <laughs> yes 20 inch shimitar yeah. ride tank, tank, first tank, ride tank. symbol yep uh the greatest they, ride symbol on earth they painted it gold because i'm like there's no bronze in the world that looks this color <laughs> like spray painted gold but yeah i think that i would maximize the funkiness and try to i would actually <clears throat> and hit it like almost like a timbali and try to get the weirdest tones out of it possible. And, but as far as actually changing the drum, I mean, obviously I think heads are the first upgrade I'd honestly make, but I don't know about yeah. your experience, but for me, most drums don't sound better when you put a brand new head on them. They sound worse because that it's so alive. Mm -hmm. So it depends. I'd have to kind of play the drum, but I think some die cast hoops and an internal muffle because that internal muffle would be the lifesaver of like, okay, let me just shut it down into an acrylite by turning this knob. Sweet. I'm going to try it. So, yeah, so that's the whole, this whole show is going to be experimenting with all the nerdy stuff that Love everyone it. wishes because I, at Drum Factory Direct's warehouse, I have access to everything, every hoop imaginable, solid brass, oh die God. cast, single flange, no flange, stick chopper, stick saver. Variations of wood hoops. That's like me so working for Canon cameras. Yeah, yeah. It's like I have the next month just to explore snare drums, and it's going to be pretty awesome. So I've got. I'm going to do your version with internal muffler, diecast on both top and bottom. Oh yeah, all the way. Okay, and then we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't don't call me. I don't. I. I'm just gonna let's wish for the best. Would you put just chrome diecast, or would you go a color? Oh God, no! I, yeah, Chrome. Just keep it all. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, that thing's. It's a classy drum, man. I mean, it's rusty. You can get tetanus from this sucker. Yeah, I'd probably, to be totally honest, I'd probably take the hoops off, leave the lugs on, and I would spray paint the entire thing matte black inside and out, and then I'd put the Chrome diecast hoops on top. Are you serious? Yep. If I huh. if I matte blacked that thing, no one would know how cheap it was. They'd be like, "What's your drum, bro?" Dude. All right. That might be the last thing I do. There you go. All right, cool. If you can find some tube well, lugs it, that fit that, psh, game over. Oh well, I don't know about the hole spacing. See, that's yeah, also exactly. part of what we're going to do on this show is how do you really measure for hole spacing? The throw off is is like drilled right at the bearing edge. <laughs> is it really? Like clearly, no one's ever made a drum before <laughs> when they put this thing together. <laughs> 
like the upper bolt is right at the drum head. So I could not tune these tension rods by the throw off any tighter because they're already hitting oh, the throw off. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, matte black that thing and go chrome die cast. Psh, game changer. All right, man. I want to see what happens. So we're going to do a shootout with all the uh, the versions, all the guest suggestions. I'm going to hopefully document them all, and we're going to just have a rapid fire. And it, and what I <laughs> what I'm predicting is everyone's going to be like, um, it sounded better in the beginning before you did anything to it. That's <laughs> totally. kind of what I'm predicting. Either that, or you'll run into what I just ran into is that everyone listens to their phone and they say all 20 snares sound exactly the same. I'm like, yeah, okay, well. You're holding I mean, a Samsung yes. Galaxy eight <laughs> feet away from your head. So let's <laughs> calm down with that statement. Uh. All right, brother. Thank you so much for jumping in. I had to get you on one of the first episodes. Appreciate it, bud. Spent five years talking shop every week, mm-hmm. and it's been a couple months without a chat. So good to catch up. Now we're Hopefully all get you back on soon. Deal. So everyone go to mikeslessons.com. Check out all the the – I mean, it's constantly growing content on his site. Also, GrooveScribe, we didn't talk about that. That's a free um, web-based notation program where if you need to just write out some exercises and stuff, I use that with private students almost daily. And it's totally free, which is unbelievable. So thank you for doing that. We do have a, what else? Anything else? We do have a GrooveScribe update that just got pushed out a couple days ago. So now anything you write, if your student happens to be left-handed, uh, when you hit the sticking button, you can just reverse all the sticking for all the notation. So oh, sweet. So they don't have That's to great. transcribe oh, in their your, head. Your new podcast <clears throat> is called Drum. Drum with Mike and Eddie. Yeah. Um, so go check that out. How many episodes deep are you? 36. Dang. I know. Got a ways to go, though. I know. 250. Where do we stop? <laughs> I mean, doing like new ones, we stopped at like 246, and we did four wrap up shows. Wow. There we yeah, go. Dude. There we go. Well, give my best to Amber and the pup. And, uh, I'll keep you posted. Everyone go to mikeslessons.com and we'll uh, see you next time. Later, buddy. All right, now it's time to hear what this gig percussion steel snare drum sounds like once we implemented some of episode one suggestions from Carter McLean. Carter suggested changing the drum heads, changing the snare wires, and changing the throw off. We, I decided not to change the throw off yet. I wanted to see if I could make this thing work with what's on it. We might change it later, but I didn't do it here. We definitely changed the heads. We definitely changed the wires. Now, uh, Carter had picked Evan's UV1 coated for the batter head. He picked a 300 series for the bottom. We had those, so we got those on the drum. He also suggested uh, Canopus vintage wires. Unfortunately, we don't have those currently here at the warehouse, so I had to find something comparable. Fortunately, we have tons of snare wires, um, some of our own brand as well as other brands. So I found some some of our in-house brand 20-strand snappy wires with the – it looks like phosphor bronze end plates. looks pretty similar to the Canopus vintage wire. So we're going to assume it's a new wire. It's going to make it sound better. But let's just see. So the first thing I did uh, before – you know, I could have just swapped the heads out, but I hadn't taken this drum apart in years. So I figured – Strip it down, give it a, a quick cleaning with some polish, make sure all the lugs were properly fastened. Uh, there were a few that were loose, so I had to get a screwdriver out, tighten those down. Um, there was one tension ride that I didn't realize in the batter head that was just too long. It was bottoming out inside the lug, so I just grabbed a, a new tension rod. Um, and then we just put the heads on. So we put you know, Evan's 300 series on the bottom. UV1 on top, 
And then we had to use string for the snare wires. Unfortunately, not my favorite choice, but the throw-off that came on the drum is missing some of the pieces, so I had to like tie the string around the throw-off. Possibly the worst option for uh, fixing snare wires to a throw-off, so we'll definitely be changing that later, but I got it to work. You'll hear, you'll kind of hear what happens when we start demoing the drum. The wires don't hold the tension super great, so that'll be something we'll revisit later. Um, but, you know, I just, then after I, you know, I put the heads on, tuned it up. I tuned the bottom head to a G, which if you listen to episode one, that was the note that Carter's drum was tuned to. And then I just started with my my kind of medium high starting point. The batter head was, you know, to a D. So I had a, had a perfect fourth between the top and the bottom with the bottom being higher. So you hear, I play it wide open, snare sort of medium loose. That was one of Carter's kind of tips was loosen the wires more than you might think which worked out great for the throw-off that uh, seems to just slip a bit. Um, it settled into a nice spot. So medium-high, crank it up, another turn, and then then I was able to go one step higher, which I couldn't do in the original version, maybe because of that, that new tension rod, maybe because of the head, but I was able to go one step tighter. And then I just backed it all the way down and then you know kind of see what kind of coolness we get in the lower region. And then just gradually brought it back up till we landed pretty much where we started. Um, I'm finding, after doing these experiments, that my I used to think I like D over G. I actually like C sharp over G. So the top head a half step lower than I thought originally. So C sharp over G is where I ended up. Um, I think it sounds a lot better. It definitely feels better. It definitely, um, I didn't need to muffle it. Originally, I had like five pieces of tape on it. So you be the judge. Let me know. Shoot me a note, um, a message on Instagram on my page, which is Mike Dawson Drums or Drum Factory Direct's page. Or you can email me, mike at drumfactorydirect.com. Definitely want to hear your thoughts. I think the drum is getting there. And we're going to use Mike Johnson's suggestions next week. So we're going to keep upgrading this drum each week with different guest suggestions. Um, So anyway... Thanks for listening, and let's get into the demo of this drum. So this is Carter's picks, um, and then we'll see you next week. Have a good one.